So is anyone in this room who legitimately enjoys the song Last Christmas by Wham? Got a couple? Okay. You might want to enjoy it now while you can. Have you heard about this couple, Thomas and Hannah Mazzetti, the Swedish couple, who have made it their personal mission to buy the rights to this song and then to remove it from every single platform so that nobody ever has to hear it again. Anybody heard this story? No? Yeah. Uh, it, it, Hannah hates this song so much from back when she was a, a barista and had to hear it on repeat every single day um, that recently somebody mentioned to them that theoretically it's possible to buy a song and then just bury the rights and nobody can play it anymore. And so they started a fundraiser and have so far raised $62,000 to, quote, uh, remove it from all streaming platforms and bury the master copy in a nuclear waste site where it can stay for the next two million years. It might take a few years, however, because currently it is worth around $15 million. So for those of you who still love this song, you have a couple years left, probably, until they've got enough to uh, buy it and then destroy it for all time. Because I'm sure to act of rebellion, yeah. <laughs> so that got me thinking. <clears throat> if you could erase one Christmas song from the world, what would it be? Christmas shoes. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought he was going to go Mariah Carey over there, but. The 12 Days of Christmas, the one with all the birds in it. I recently found out, by the way, that the five golden rings is a reference to a golden pheasant, not actual rings. And so there's just more birds in that song. Too many birds. Anyone else? No. If you could eliminate one Christmas song for all time. Sorry about that. Thanks. <laughs> Theo? But you like Jingle Bell. Well, anyway. <laughs> that was last week, yeah. So for me, this is an easy one. It's, do you hear what I hear? I, I see some surprise looks. That's right. Uh, and if you'll let me get a little grinchy for a, for a moment, I'll tell you why I hate this song so much. First of all, it, it, it poses itself as if it were a, a Christmas classic, right? That it's been around for centuries or whatever. It's not. It was written in 1962 in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis and a call for peace in the world written by somebody who admittedly by themselves have admitted that they didn't really read the Bible. And they didn't really know much about the Christmas story other than what they had seen in movies and whatnot. 
So that explains why it's so blatantly inaccurate. Like, a star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. That's a comet, not a star. Okay? Stars don't have tails. They don't dance in the night. Actually, comets are a sign of the death of a king, not the birth of a king. Um, Halley's Comet uh, went by about 10 years before Jesus was born. There, there was a, um, a, a Chinese astronomer who, who wrote about that, but no comets, okay? And how about a child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket, okay? If a child is shivering in the cold, let's not bring him precious metals. And if we're going to be bringing him uh, impractical birthday presents, let's go with the golden frankincense and myrrh, not silver. That one's easy. Everyone knows that one. And then it ends with this triumphant verse that said to the king, to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Did you read the same passage I read? The king was not praying for peace in that passage. Um, there is a lot of bloodshed that happens right after that one. No, peace is uh, a threat to kings. And Jesus was a threat to King Herod's entire establishment. And this whole song is, is, is inaccurate. It is overly sentimental and it is in of the way that we have so thoroughly sanitized the Christmas story that nobody cares <laughs> how bad it is. Though honestly, maybe nobody cares because there's so many worse songs <laughs> like Santa Baby and uh, Santa Buddy, right? Wasn't that uh, uh, Michael Buble's version? That we don't stop to think about all we lose when we sanitize the story like that, when we lose the disruptive power of not only the whole Christmas story, but specifically this one that we read about on Epiphany. So let me take a moment, recenter myself, <laughs> get out of my rant, and maybe hopefully breathe a little bit more of that disruptive life back into this story. So first and foremost, who were the magi, the wise men, the three kings of Orient, which, by the way, is next on the chopping block? Well, the magi are, simply put, astrologers. They are priests. They are scholars. They are the learned folks of Babylon and Persia. They are sort of the, the gatekeepers of a very ancient religion known as Zoroastrianism, which actually predates uh, Abraham. Um, and there are still some adherents in Persia today, um, in, in that area anyway. Um, so these people were really important in Babylon and in Persia. And those of you who have been following along with our Bible study of Ezra and Nehemiah, your ears perked up a little bit when I mentioned Babylon and Persia because those are the bad guys <laughs> in our story. Those are the people who annihilated Jerusalem and leveled it to the ground and carried away all of its riches and its best people into bondage and slavery in Babylon. And what's the whole theme of this book that we've been reading? 
this, this whole argument that's been happening throughout this whole thing is who is in and who is out? Who is a pure and holy child of God and who is an inbred mutt not deserving of being able to rebuild the temple? Who is uh, somebody who follows the good law and who is a heretic? Who has the pedigree to lead and who needs to just fall in line and do what they're told? These are the, 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 the issues that we're struggling with in this book. So how does Matthew show us that Jesus is not playing that game? Well, he sends the enemy to visit Jesus, to visit Jesus before the very insiders and elites who are supposed to know these things. And not only that, but you know how the shepherds in, in, in Luke, they get the good Hebraic angelic visions, right, that, that fit with exactly what they would imagine. How do the Magi find Jesus? A star or a planet, or something like that. We have no idea what actually it is because um, we've lost a lot about Zoroastrian astrology. We don't really know what they saw. Some alignment of planets that went in some constellation that meant Judea, all of these things. We don't really know. Also, it seems that Matthew doesn't really know how astrology works. Um, I mean, can we go back to that last part of that um, scripture? Uh, this one. they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. Anybody else imagine that like a police searchlight? That they followed this thing as it bounced along like a bouncing Mickey Mouse head over the words of a sing-along tape or something like that? But if that were true, then everyone would have followed it. <laughs> everyone in town would have been like, wow, this is very strange. We should follow this thing. But no, only the Magi saw it which tells me that Matthew has no idea how astrology works, <laughs> that he's imagining that they're following a literal star that is moving throughout the day. And that's fine. Matthew's not supposed to know how astrology works because astrology is specifically banned. It is outlawed for good Jewish people in multiple places in the Torah. So if he really did understand how it works, he'd be exposing the fact that he's doing what he's not supposed to be doing. It would be in our modern context, like if Jesus were born and before the pastors and priests and bishops and everything goes and finds them, um, a group of witches show up because they were reading tarot cards and, uh, and reading uh, tea leaves and God spoke through that before God spoke to the priests and the prophets. And isn't that just wonderful? I love that. A group of enemy astrologers using a forbidden form of divination receive a special message from God to come meet the Savior. And don't you love how surprised they are that the people in the palace don't know what they're talking about? Uh, it's almost as if God doesn't care about who's in and who's out. It's almost as if that's the entire point of the Jesus story. I think if I could summarize this whole story in a single sentence, it would be this. God 
wants to be found. God wants to be found. And all of that other stuff about how is so much less important than the fact that God wants to be found. Right? God sent bold and bright angels to the shepherds and a dream to Joseph and a cold, distant star to the Magi. God was found in different ways by different people. But the common thread throughout the entire Christmas story is that God wants to be found. As the prophet Jeremiah wrote, quote, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. Jesus himself said, ask and it, will be, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you shall find. God is not hiding from us, friends. God wants to be found and God will bless your searching as long as it is done in earnest. So seek truth and truth will find you. Keep your eyes out. Ask questions. Look for answers. Meet new people. Be open to new ideas and expect to find God in the most unexpected places. Like the Magi who spent those 500 years looking for Jesus, the royal king of the Jews, but instead found Jesus, the humble carpenter's son, the king of the world. And so you too, my beloved exiles, <laughs> I know that many of you throughout your journeys, have been told by various people that you are not religious enough or that the ways that you experience the divine most closely are not Christian enough, they're not orthodox enough. <sighs> Maybe you have been frustrated by those who are self-appointed guards of the gates of heaven. Or maybe you yourself at some point have served as that gatekeeper, telling other people, that their way of seeking God is not quite Christian enough. I leave you today with this promise. If you seek after God with the unique compass of your own soul, then God will find you in a way that makes sense to you. So seek God today, and may you be found in this new year. Let us pray.